One of my friends is a priest in East Los Angeles who works with gang members. His name is Greg Boyle. And Greg uh, has been working with gang members for 30, 35 years. And he's, uh, he's made every mistake possible. And um, a lot of gang folks are full of addiction and alcoholism and cruelty and not a lot of hope there. And Greg has done many funerals and been in many hospitals and anointed many people shot, young, young people who are shot. He said it's, it's just extraordinary when you're talking with someone who's 17 years old and they cannot imagine living to be 25. So he's, he's been surrounded in one of the worst of all possible worlds. But Greg stays peaceful and happy most of the time. And I was talking to him. I'm older than he, so I know more, but I still ask him something. And I say, Greg, how do you stay hopeful? And he said, you stay hopeful if you don't care about your successes. You stay hopeful if you don't care about success, if you don't care about success. You know, I got to win. Got to win the prize. Got to be number one. It breaks your heart. But you, you just be present here and now, right here and now, and we don't know the future. We leave the future in God's good hands. And I don't know what that's going to look like. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure that if God's will gets done, I'm not going to get in my own way. I dislike that a lot, but I think that's true. My basic, most heartfelt and sincere prayer is, oh God, I want it my way now. That's, that really is the one that I, I mean with every breath, uh, and that's just not the way it works out. One. When God's way gets done, it's a pretty good chance my way is not going to get done. Yeah. I want my side to win. I want my friends to be happy. I want people I hate to be miserable. I mean, that's my will, you know. Slowly miserable by inches. I'd love that. Um. This was taught to me by Jim Harbaugh. Jim, a, this is not the football coach, but a, a, a priest, a Jesuit priest in Tacoma, Washington. He is very musical, and he has many, many other odd qualities. Um, and he loves this. is from Odath, the uh, excuse me, the courage to change one day at a time in Al-Anon two, which I use often, not daily, but often. And he recommends the reading for Beethoven's birthday, which is December 16th. And he said when he read this on December 16th, his response was, Thanks, Al-Anon! Thanks, Al-Anon! So, just so you'll remember, December 16th. It reads like this. I was convinced that I had to take care of everything and everybody. That's tough when you're six, you know, or 11, or 35. 
I had no choice. But with the help of Al-Anon, I have learned that while I do have responsibilities, there are also many things I do not have to do. I do not have to understand everything. Boy, that's tough if you're bright. Because you think you should understand everything. I want to understand everybody's motivations, backgrounds. I want to be able to evaluate. We think that living like Sherlock Holmes is normal, you know. There's a couple of clues and you find the murderer, you know, within an hour. That just doesn't work. I don't have to understand everything. Some things are not my business. And others will simply never make sense to me. Next. I don't have to be reluctant to show my feelings. I don't have to be reluctant to show my feelings. When I'm happy, I can give in to it. Now, that's a little scary <laughs> if you're a little depressed a lot. Um, see, the problem with happiness is it goes away. But if you could just hold on to anger or sorrow, it's there all the time. And so you're more stable. Um, and I, I, stability was favored in my family. Uh, my parents prided themselves on their stability. Mad all the time, 24 hours a day, nothing ever changed. But happy. Ooh. When I'm not happy, I can turn to my Al-Anon friends who help me to grow through the tough times. Some of us get involved in a lot of drama. I have surely liked that. I, I was a newly ordained priest. I was ordained in uh, 1978, April 1st, 1978. And um, my first job, I, I was a high school teacher, uh, but I got a job working at a parish in downtown Hollywood, California, which is a chaotic place, and it still is, and it's full of everything imaginable that you could find in downtown Los Angeles plus. Um, and there was uh, narcotics and tourism and prostitution, and that all got mixed up, and um, lots of kids and lots of different ethnic groups and languages and so forth and so on. And I, I remember a brand new priest, uh, sober a little bit, but no Al-Anon, and I really thought I should be Jesus. And Jesus never slept, as you know. Uh, so vigilant, uh, phone rings, I'll answer it. Someone's at the door, oh, I'll go there. Um, it was a very, very busy place. And I thought I did not need sleep and I did not need meetings. Well, within weeks, I am pathetic. Way overwhelmed, way stretched out. So tired and, and just... In Texas, they would say, I was feeling puny. But that doesn't even begin the conversation. It was real pathetic. And I went to a meeting called uh, the Hollywood Thursday Night Men's Stag. <laughs> the most serious meeting I've ever been to in my life. And um, here was the format. It's men, manly men, remember? Manly men doing manly men things. And the format of the meeting was you'd read whatever you read. And then if someone had a problem, they put it out on the floor. And if someone had a similar problem sober, they shared how they, the tools they used. That's what it was. So you didn't go there 
when you were feeling really good. You kind of went there when you were in trouble or miserable or in crisis. When the moon was full, that meeting was fuller. And some men are a little bit competitive. Maybe you've noticed this once or twice. And a lot of males do not like to ask for help. Perhaps you've noticed that once or twice. So one night at that meeting, you, know, you read the stuff, and then you wait for the first guy to ask for help. We went 23 minutes. A room full of guys. But no one's going to be the first. You know, just, it's so crazy. Finally, someone exploded with whatever. Oh, thank God, someone. And then we could all relax, but it was just. Anyway, um, I was newly ordained. I was overwhelmed. I was angry. I was frantic. Uh, lots of feelings of self-loathing and self-worth, uh, low self-esteem, because if only I were a better person, I could handle this better, and I should have it all figured out by now, after all, all that stuff. Um, and I, I threw my problem out on the floor, and my problem was I thought I would edit it to the essentials. I've got a new job. I feel overwhelmed and incompetent. And um, a guy there named Chuck, he was about six feet tall and weighed a pound. We could still smoke at meetings. He, he smoked cigarettes with not, no filter, you know, so you knew this was serious recovery talking. And he, uh, he said, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. He said, have you done this kind of work before? And I said, no, this is all brand new to me. And he said, well, then you probably are incompetent. <laughs> He said, what you get to do is ask other people how to do it. Find some people who've been doing it longer and talk to them because they've learned some stuff. He gave me great permission. And I, it's one of the meetings I vividly remember. Um, but that summer also, there, was a, uh, there were some working girls and boys in the neighborhood and there were a number of little motels that had hourly rates. And uh, one was on the corner. And uh, uh, we, I, we, we put up some people there that needed housing on occasion. And uh, the, guy, the guy who was the front desk manager, his name really was Buck Love. That was his name, <laughs> Buck Love, <laughs> at this awful motel. Anyway, I was on duty, and you're on duty for 24 hours, and whenever the phone rings, you're number one, then there's a guy number two that picks up the phone, and it's like uh, there's hospitals in the neighborhood. There was always emergencies. And I picked up the phone, and one of the girls got stabbed, and uh, 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 could I get down there right away? Cops were coming. Ambulance was coming. She wanted the priest. So I, I ran, ran down, and uh, uh, mirrors on the ceiling. I'd never seen that before. And, 
and blood and ambulance and anyway, prayed a little bit, anointed her and, and uh, dashed off. I was high on adrenaline for the next three days. I was shakingly, vibratingly high on adrenaline. I used to love that. And I don't love that anymore. This is part of getting older and part of getting some Al-Anon wisdom where I do not want trauma and drama as part of my ordinary existence. I want to opt for some serenity and I want to opt for some quiet times, especially if I'm surrounded by a lot of chaos. And if you are surrounded by alcoholics and addicts, there's a lot of chaos. So part of my recovery is finding safe people, safe places, boundaries, quiet time, uh, places where they can't get me. Uh, with cell phones, they can get you, of course, all the time. So sometimes as a sign of recovery, it's very important to turn the phone off. I started doing that about 11 p.m. I turned the phone off. I don't, I don't get calls at 3 in the morning. I'm just not good at that. Um, someone else will be up. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. They'll find them. I'll find them. So I can show my feelings. I don't have to feel threatened by the future. I can take one day at a time. The future is terrible, you know, if you look at the papers. Everyone has a gun. And everything's wearing out and blowing up and falling down. I mean, that's basically the paper. I don't have to be real And I can, I can and I have occasionally gotten frozen with anxiety about the next 10 years or 20 years or 500 years. So one of my pals at my home group says this, I can dread one day at a time. I can just dread today. You know, there's, I don't have to dread the next 30 years. I'll just dread today. There is more than enough to dread in just today. So uh, I, I give myself permission to do that. Um, and, and again, the drama and the trauma. When I'm having a difficult time, and I sometimes do, and sometimes when I'm having a difficult time, it's because difficult stuff is happening. And I'm too hungry, too angry, too lonely, too tired. And, you know, ten other things are... There's drought, there's no water, all those things. Um, when I share at a meeting, I can say something like this. It's a really long day. That's telling the truth, but without the drama. <laughs> it's a really long day. Things aren't going that well. Lots of things hurt. Uh, simply tell the truth without the Mormon Tabernacle choir singing in the background, you know. Um, I want to be able in Al-Anon to share simply and directly without drama, trauma, avoidance, code, euphemism. The simple language of the program works just fine. 
I don't have to feel guilty about the past. With the help of the steps, especially eight and nine, I can make amends and learn from the mistakes I've made. And I've made lots of mistakes. Continue to. I think my first 10 years in recovery, I made mistakes five or six times. (laughs) And now I find I make mistakes five or six times a day. And if scripture is to be believed in one of the Psalms, and if I were a Baptist, I'd know which Psalm it was, but I I can just tell you one of the Psalms. It says the just person falls seven times a day. The just person falls seven times a day. And if that's true for the just person, uh, the rest of us have a lot of permission to be idiots. I don't have to feel alone. I can go to a meeting or pick up the phone. There's always someone to reach out to in Al-Anon. I don't have to take responsibility for other people's choices. They have their own higher power to help them make their decisions. And I don't have to give up on my hopes and dreams. My higher power is not limited by my lack of imagination. If, if you love alcoholics, if you love addicts, it does wear you out. It does wear you out. Uh, it is not just physical exhaustion. There's a mental exhaustion and an emotional exhaustion and a spiritual exhaustion. And sometimes it's not the kind of exhaustion where you can bounce back quickly. It really takes time. Some of us have been emotionally battered and some of us have been spiritually battered and some of us have been physically battered. I read a, an extraordinary book written in 1978 by a man named Gerald May, M-A-Y. And the book is called Simply Sane, Simply Sane, colon, The Spirituality of Mental Health. He writes a book later on called Addiction and Grace. But simply saying, he says a couple of things, uh, and and this is getting into uh, steps three, four, and five. That's where we're headed in this talk. One of the things he says about healing, and he's a physician, is that healing is a natural process. A lot of us get battered and slapped and broken and punched just in the course of the day. Uh, If you you do what you need to do, healing happens, like if you break a leg. Uh, There may be a lot of drama and emotion and maybe an ambulance and maybe a hospital and some physicians and nurses running around setting the leg. But once the leg is set, you know, an hour and a half after it happens, for the next couple of weeks, months, healing is going on. And you don't have to be thinking about it all the time so that it will happen. Healing happens if the conditions are right. And sometimes the healing might be really, really slow. I like the instant quick changes of fast recovery. I think in in the Gospel of Mark, um, one of his favorite adverbs is immediately. And that's how I'd like my recovery to be. Immediately this happened, and immediately that happened, and uh, instead it's it's frequently pretty slow. Uh, 
the trauma fades little bit by little bit by little bit. Sometimes one of the first things in our recovery is we notice how goofy we are. And we didn't notice that until, you know, an hour ago. Um, We didn't notice how passive-aggressive we were. We didn't notice how mean we were. We didn't notice how cynical we were. We didn't notice how, uh, in my family, we, the humor stuff, we got being funny mixed up with being mean. And boy, I can do that very easily. And then if someone offended, was offended by my insight, uh, oh, can't you take a joke? I can still do that. And, and it's, I find some things hilarious that no other person finds funny. And that's kind of embarrassing. Um, uh, so part when I went back into the classroom as a sober person, one of the weapons I used to control the mob was sarcasm. And I was quicker and faster than a lot of the kids. They were bigger than me, but I was quicker and faster. And I, could, and I, I used that weapon on young people. And um, it was instinctive. It, it wasn't even something I decided to do and then did. It was just, you know, keeping down... Uh, uh, it's like the British rule of India. Keep everyone divided, you know. Keep them fighting among themselves and I'll win. And at the end of one semester, I was teaching some of the older kids, seniors. So most, some of them were even people by that time, you know, <laughs> 17, 18 years old. And one of the kids, he it was climbed time to review the class, uh, um, teacher evaluation, and he said, um, it was a class on, on uh, something historical. He said, the material's very interesting, but I'm, I will never take another class from you. You have a way of, of making people feel very small, and I don't like it. Now, I knew exactly, this was a bright and brave young man. I knew exactly what he was talking about, and I had no idea how to fix it. I just knew there was misery here and some of my own rage that would come across um, with cruelty. And I remember I did a little more therapy on it and and, um, restraint of tongue and pen was discussed and asking God for help. But I, I don't know how to fix me. Healing is going on, but I don't know how to fix me. I was at a meeting... Somewhere in Michigan, wherever Michigan is. Is Michigan close to here? I have no idea. Six hours. That's like from me to L.A. It's pretty close. Um, I heard this fellow say, first year of recovery is about physical recovery, and second year of recovery is about emotional recovery, and third year of recovery is about spiritual recovery. That sounded really good. Nice and precise. And I now think that that person had four years. The first 10 to 15 years can be about physical things like make sure you get enough sleep and get a foot massage and, you know, get a walk in. I mean, the physical things, space and time, learning how to negotiate space and time. I'm not always good at that. A good 15 years for that. The next 15 years, learning some stuff about uh, emotions, you know, emotional recovery. And then 
the spiritual recovery, understanding and perceiving and getting some wisdom. That's life going. There's a Peanuts cartoon. I like, I like Charles Schultz. I like Peanuts. Um, about an hour from where I live is Santa Rosa, and Santa Rosa is where you will find the Charles Schultz Museum. Um, and it's Lucy and Charlie Brown and Snoopy and all those characters, uh, and, I, and I find them endlessly wonderful. And the first time I went there, which was like two years ago, I was going to speak at a meeting. To avoid traffic, I went up really, really early, like one in the afternoon, and um, got there, and I had a couple of hours, and so I thought I'd go to the Charles M. Schultz Museum. And I think I'm so clever and, and uh, that I, I know so much. I ended up going to the Charles M. Schultz gift shop, <laughs> and I thought it was the museum until I left, and I noticed the cash register. And then I said, this isn't the museum, and they looked at me as if I were an idiot, and they said, no, the museum is the large building next door, and I had missed it. Uh, so I, the point of that story is I can miss the obvious. I can absolutely miss the obvious, even though I think I'm right on top of things. So there's a cartoon, and it's Lucy, and Lucy's talking to Charlie Brown. And Lucy says to Charlie Brown, how many times does five go into three? And Charlie Brown says, five doesn't go into three. And Lucy says, it does if you push. <laughs> now, in Al-Anon, we call that forcing the outcome, <laughs> you know? How many times has there been misery in my life and the lives of other people because I've been trying to shove five into three? And there's many, you know, it, it's manipulating, it's controlling, it's trying to do all that stuff. In the second step, we ask for healing, this natural process of healing, to be brought to a place where we can learn how to work and love and play. If, if you can work love and play, you've got a pretty good life. You really do. And what I can do is obsess on one of them and ignore the other two, and that's out of balance. I want all three of them there. If I'm, you know, have I been hanging out with friends? No, I've been too busy. Really? Well, let's take some action there. Maybe I need to and I've done this drive to L.A. to see my sponsor and just spend two days, you know, watching him do whatever sponsors do. Um, or, or hanging out with some friends that I haven't seen in a while. Or I mean, the loving, or family, 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 ah, um, which is the graduate work of recovery. Boy, that's tough. Boy, that's tough. I was just talking with someone uh, at the break, and one, I, what I learned, because my family, I just found myself paralyzed by. I'm the youngest, and uh, that's impossible. Um, so I decided what I would do is start meeting my family members one-on-one. -on -one. Instead of, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, the big group, <laughs> impossible. So my Christmas present one year to my nieces, who were becoming young women, was, uh, I'll take you out to dinner. Let's, let's choose a date and go and, and visit. And I went with one of my nieces, and it was really scary. We had, she was 20 years old. We had never 
talked one-on-one in our lives before because there always were people around. And um, she, she's very bright, and um, my oldest brother's middle daughter. So we fooled around and were awkward for a few moments. And I breathed, and I, when I'm awkward, I sometimes can get very chatty, and I just let it be quiet for a moment. And we ordered something. We were at a Russian vegetarian restaurant in Berkeley called Petrushka. Um, she looked at me and she said, Tom, are my parents crazy? <laughs> and I said to her, you can talk about your parents if I can talk about my parents. <laughs> and we had a conversation. Every so often we do that. My oldest niece, uh, oh, there were rumors. <laughs> and uh, we went out to dinner, Mexican restaurant, San Francisco, Pancho Villa, numero dos in the mission. And only natives go there. We don't allow tourists in. But if you come to visit, I'll take you there and we'll sit in the back and you know, just look like a local. Um, she said, uh, I want to catch you up a little bit with what's going on. I said, yeah, what's going on? I've heard a couple of things, you know. She said, well, she was like 35. She said, I've had some unhappy relationships with a couple of guys. And uh, I've just broken up with guy number three. And the thing they all had in common, the three men I've dated over the last few years, is they're all alcoholics who abuse their children. And I thought maybe I should try a little therapy. Now, I'm her uncle. I'm in recovery. I'm a priest. I have been through college. Thank God I've also been to Al-Anon. And I gave the Al-Anon response, which is, It takes years to get this response right. Years. And when someone gives you a huge amount of horrifying information, you say, oh. (laughs) Flat tone. Not just, just, no judgment, just, oh. And she said, so I called a therapist and uh, I went to see her a couple of times and, uh, Talked about the family and family dynamics, and her father's alcoholic, had a little trouble with his kids. And um, after two or three or four sessions, the therapist said to me, you know, you've talked about everybody's drinking in the family but your own. Why don't we talk about that? And so my niece talked about her drinking with the therapist. And uh, I have to remind myself at this point, breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. That's what I can do. And she said, so the therapist suggested that I go to an AA meeting. And uh, uh, so I got a meeting list. My niece is very organized. Meeting list, and I went to a meeting, and I hated it. I hated the beginning. I hated the middle. I hated the end. I hated the Lord's Prayer. I hated everything about the meeting. And uh, I went out to my car, and I knew that I was going to go back to my apartment and drink. And so instead of that, I went to another meeting, 
That's one of the benefits of living in a city. There's many meetings. I went to another meeting, and I stayed for the whole meeting, and I have 19 days sober. And I said, oh. <laughs> Want to ask me anything? And she says, no, but let's keep talking. You know? which we've done over the many years. Um, getting to build bridges with family, bit by bit, and, and realizing the traps we can get into with family every so often when the whole family gathers. Something happens, and I'm nine years old and mad. And I, 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 it happens so quickly I don't see it coming. And I have to sometimes apologize and not be a jerk but to start making connections and going out of my way. And we had one big gathering Christmas Eve, and, and it went really well. And I figured, oh, I've got this licked. I can handle the holidays now forever. This is called vanity and arrogance and pride. And the next uh, uh, Christmas uh, event was such a nightmare. Uh, I knew I'd never go back again and see them. Um, and, you know, again, notice way up, way down, way up, way down. And I, I think uh, sometimes it is the absolute last place I want to be. With the family. <laughs> so those are things I need to keep an eye on. Healing happens little bit by little bit by little bit and slowly over time. And it's a natural process. I have to ask God for help. I have to learn some things. I need to change some of my behaviors. But that's the focus of the program. And step three, I turn a lot of things over to God's good care because I don't know what to do. If you go to meetings, like if you go to 90 meetings in 90 days, or if you're in Al-Anon for a year or so, you will have heard or read everything you need to know. All the tools are there. Most of us know a lot of stuff. That's not the problem. The problem is I can't remember that I know a lot of stuff. Which is a reason to stay familiar with the literature and to regularly check in at meetings. Uh, one of the women I've met in recovery, um, her name was Susan B. Anthony. The grandniece of the Susan B. Anthony. And she was um, oh, a little bird-like lady, and I got to drive her to the airport. She came out to California to do some talks, and, and I was her, her lackey, her minion for a couple of days, and uh, heard her talk. And, and um, she, was, uh, she got sober the year I was born. She became a family therapist. She did all sorts of interesting things. And she was quite elderly when I met her, and she had a lot to say. And one of the things she said was, Remember to remember. Remember to remember to call your sponsor. Remember to remember to ask God for help. Remember to remember to get enough sleep. Remember to remember to return the phone calls. Memory is a crucial part of recovery, and my memory can be very problematic. So I need to regularly deal with the most simple concepts of recovery like day at a time. Someone and recovery takes time. I've been going to Aldon for a year now. 
You're not even in the front door. Come on in. Come on in. Still bringing a gun to the meetings? <laughs> in the next couple of years, you can let go of that, you know, and then we're glad to see you. I heard this from someone. Each year of recovery gives us one more second of response time. So first year of recovery, life happens. And within a second, you're saying, doing, responding, paying, running. Ten years of recovery, you've got ten whole seconds before you have to do anything. And sometimes that's just enough time to remind yourself that this is none of your business and you have nothing to say and you do something like, oh. Third step, turning our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. Everybody understands God differently. Trust me on that. Even members of the same church understand God differently. Because I think God has a relationship with the whole human race and the whole planet, but I think God also has a relationship with each one of us. And God has the, God as I understand God, has the skills to speak to each of us in our own language. Some of us might be very musical people. The connection might be there. Some of us might be very literary people. The connection might be there. Some of us might be people who think with our hands. I don't know if you've ever done that, but you know, it's just this massive cobwebs and knots here. But if you do something with your hands for a while, it sorts out a little bit. I've had that experience. One of the reasons I go out to the yard, God will speak to each of us in our own language. I need to get the time to listen. God as we understand God. Um, here's a couple of things I believe about the higher power. Number one, I think the higher power is really big. Bigger than we think. Bigger than we speak about. Bigger than we imagine. I think God is bigger than the United States. I mean, just for starters. Probably bigger than Illinois. Bigger than the State Department. Bigger than the Vatican. Bigger than the Bible. Bigger than the English language. God is really big. Beyond all of our categories. Well, is God male or female? I mean... Male, female is this tiny, and God is much bigger. I like increasingly the image of God as an old white man with a white beard, but uh, that's just personal on my part. <laughs> and for, for those who uh, aren't here to see me, I'm an old white man with a white beard. And uh, uh, Anyway, that's... That was in poor taste, I apologize. But, but bigger, you know? So big. I like, I like that. And, and bigger, bigger, bigger. Also, God, as I understand, God is intelligent. I don't think God is a brute force, you know, like nuclear fission. 
uh, or volcano. I think there's intelligence there. I think there is uh, skill. I think God has a lot of skill. I think God, this is out of the the tradition of the children of Abraham, you know, Christians, Muslims, and Jews. I think God is compassionate, and I think God is merciful, and I think God is generous, which is a a word that lots of church people don't give to God. You know, they think that God is as narrow-minded and nasty as they are, uh, and we hope not. So when I turn things over into God's care, I turn things over to the care of a power greater than myself that is big and intelligent and skillful and resourceful and compassionate and merciful and generous. I guess you could ask, do you do that once or do you do that a hundred times? And the answer is yes. It's a policy. We just keep doing it over and over and over again. In Narcotics Anonymous, uh, and I, I keep thinking I should go to more NA meetings. I think, I think uh, occasionally, oh, please, don't quote me. Uh, occasionally, I have been to AA meetings that are extremely very refined. <laughs> That's not always good for me. We don't swear at this meeting, really. Well, maybe there's another meeting in town. Um, You know how prissy we can get? Oh, again, probably not here in Decatur, but there are are places where people get prissy. Um, So I, anyway, here's a Narcotics Anonymous thing, and I have this written down here. Please, please, please. Where are you? I had it right here. This is... The, the step three prayer in Narcotics Anonymous. Um, guide me in my recovery. Show me how to live. Take my will in my life. Three simple sentences. Take my will in my life. Show me how to live. Guide me in my recovery. I like that. God, as I understand God, is willing to help even if you ask badly. Don't I need special language, you know? Doesn't it have to be in Latin, Greek, or Hebrew? No, it doesn't. Help is enough. It's a surrender, step three. It's an asking for help. It's a a letting go. I clearly cannot fix me. I don't even know where to start. Let me tell you about my five-year plan. Really? When all else fails, my sponsor encourages me just to take out a white handkerchief and wave it in a public place. This can be in an airport. 
or a traffic jam. It's just, it is a white flag letting go surrender. It's over. It's over. Help. And God, as I understand God, starts to make a difference. In the fourth step, we look at our defects of character. We look at our flaws. We look at our bad behavior. Lots of us have lots of that. And relax. Relax. The fourth step is a bit of archaeology. It's a bit of evaluation. It does not have to be done with self-loathing. But some of us, when we do a fourth step, we experience shame or guilt or self-loathing. Those are all words I know well. So here's a couple of things I want to say about step four. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Some of us in Al-Anon will write an autobiography. Um, first marriage, second marriage, third marriage, fourth marriage, fifth marriage. If that works for you, we're delighted. You know, I'm, I'm very happy for you. Uh, keep it simple. Uh, some of us think we're writing the great American novel. You know? No. Um, Hollywood would like to publish my fourth step, and you know, Brad Pitt will be me. Um, no, no, no. You just relax. The fourth step is so important to do, it's worth doing badly. And you might just write about the stuff that broke your heart. Some people do more than one fourth step over a period of years. Stuff that broke your heart, stuff you resent. Any big resentments? Stuff you're angry at, stuff you're sad about. Any secrets? Anything you promised you'd never tell anyone? <laughs> Make sure you get that down. That's very important. I've listened to lots of fifth steps over the years. You know, we share this with God, ourselves, and another human being. And some sponsors think you have to share this with the sponsor, but some sponsors don't qualify as human beings. You know, I've, I've noticed that. Um, they're kind of gurus and majesties, um, find someone you can share it with. And find someone you can share it with who has um, a closed mouth. Because some stuff that's shared is very delicate. And some of us are very gossipy. That's a defective character that some of us have, you know, we so gossipy. I wouldn't say anything about George unless it was good, and boy, is this good. That's like that. Um, we had a, a fellow in Pasadena, Jostler. Jostler's been gone for a few years now, but he would say, anonymity is anonymity, and confidentiality is confidentiality, but news is news. And, and you have to keep an eye on that, too. When I was in priest school... Um, one of our teachers was a remarkable man named Robert Daly. Robert Daly, um, he was a much older man. He taught moral theology, and he taught 
courses in hearing confessions. And, and um, he, he had a great brain and a great heart, a lot of life experience too. And numbers of people, if they were deeply troubled, sought him out. I, I did that myself once, he, and he showed me love and compassion beyond my wildest dreams. Helped me a lot. Anyway, Robert Daly, he said this, you know, when you're hearing someone sharing, um, in the confessional was the specific thing we're talking about, but if you hear a fifth step, this is very similar. When you're hearing someone sharing on that level, pray for the grace to know when you're in over your head. I mean, I didn't think I could be in over my head because I've read a lot of books and I've seen a couple of real interesting movies and give me a problem and I'll solve it. Now, this is called arrogance and pride. You know what your problem is? Uh, yeah, we do. You know, it's, it's your big mouth is what the problem is. Um, pray for the grace to know when you're in over your head. And what that practically means is someone may share something with you that you have no response for. And in a fourth and fifth step, you're mostly there to listen, not to judge, but to listen. But the person might ask for help. Might, clearly, there might be something going on where outside help is required. And as a sponsor or as an older friend, it's real good to have resources you can refer people to. A good therapist, a good doctor, Someone who knows a lot. Um, I was not even in Al-Anon yet. Oh, I guess I had visited for like six months, but, you know, nothing. Um, and a sponsee came to see me. She always wore long sleeves. And uh, I had seven years sober at this time, and she had about four and a half. And we were talking, and she was very upset because she was going to make a major revelation. And she uh, pulled back her sleeve, and there were cuts all up and down her arm. And she said to me, I do this. Well, I've been to school. I have read a paper on that. Delicate cutting. And I remembered the words of Robert Daly, pray for the grace to know when you're in over your head. And what I know is this is going to take some time and this is going to take some work and I'm not the one. I'm not qualified. And I recommended a therapist I trusted. And one of the reasons I trusted this therapist was this therapist knows that if he doesn't know, he knows someone who does. He also knows when he's in over his head. And, and I made the referral. Sometimes I just don't know what to respond. In a fourth step, it's kind of like um, hearing confessions. You hear guilt. And you hear shame. And maybe some self-loathing. And um, how long can I, and, and then there's details, you know, how long does a, 
a fifth step last? Well, a lot of us are quite fascinated by ourselves. <laughs> I had a guy call me. I uh, wanted to do a fourth step. Buy the book. Buy the book. Our fifth step. Buy the book. Sure. Um, and I looked at my calendar, and I'm a pretty busy guy. And I said, uh, Thursday, this coming Thursday, I've got a couple hours free. Couple of hours, he said. I need five days. I've done this before. Mornings, afternoons, evenings, five days. And my life just flashed in front of my eyes. Um, this is an NA guy, and he's, I bought a book, and I've done it. And I, you know, I, oh, I felt so bad. I felt, he told me I was a bad priest. I didn't have the time. I didn't have the time. You're a bad priest. Uh, many have said that, and there's indications that I have lots of problems. Um, but I, I, I knew a, an older priest, Jack, Jack Martin. Now, Jack was over at the University of San Francisco, and Jack was sober a long time, and Jack didn't get sober till he retired, and he was a teacher. He taught economics, and he was a, a terror in the classroom as a drinker, and he gets sober, and he becomes... One of those guys with a very big heart. And I, I knew Jack, and I trusted Jack. And I, and I said, listen, why don't you, Jack is retired. Why don't you give him a call? So gave him his phone number. And about three weeks later, I'm over in San Francisco. I go over to the University of San Francisco for lunch. And I ask, is Jack around? They say, oh, well, he was at St. Mary's Hospital on a treadmill this morning. He was like 80. They said his heart stopped. He dropped down dead. They plugged him in, and he's back. He's in his room. So I finished lunch and went up to see Jack. You know, this is all the excitement of being 80 years old. And he was there, and he was a very friendly, gentle soul. And I said, I hear you've had a, a, a remarkable day. He said, well, the day's not done. He said, um, day at a time, you know. He said, that, and he, he was just very peaceful with this. And he said, you know, it wasn't my time. And then he paused, and he said, you sent me an interesting guy. <laughs> And I said, what did you do? And he said, well, he said, when he told me it would take five days, I said to him, listen, I'm an old man. I don't have five days. But if you could get it down to four pages, I'm willing to listen. And that's kind of where I fall on the thing, the big things, you know. I mean, the, the big issues, the exact nature of our wrongs. And for a lot of us, our, the exact nature of our wrongs is we have a lot of self-pity and we have control issues and we have anger and we manipulate and we have bigotry and fear and harsh judgments, complicated families, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, a poem from the uh, one of the poets I read. His name is Rumi, R-U-M-I, Rumi. He's, oh, maybe 12th century Muslim. Uh, I think he writes in the Persian language. And he's uh, uh, one of the great poets. Anyway, he, he uh, uh, here's a little poem that I always think of in talking about the fourth and fifth step. 
He, uh, Muslims believe in the resurrection like Christians do. He said, on resurrection day, your body testifies against you. Your hands say, I stole things. Your lips say, I said cruel things. Your feet say, I went where I shouldn't. Your genitals say, me too. Lots of times those are the subjects of a fourth step, you know? Uh, things you feel ashamed of. And I, you know, I don't, I, I haven't had a lot of shame in a long time, but over the last year or two, I've just had some washes of shame and self-loathing that came out of nowhere. What well, long ago and far away is where they came out of. And I, I got hit by a, just blindsided, and I recognized the taste. I mean, I know what's going on. And what I did when I felt it was I made a couple phone calls. And I have a couple of people just to say, this is going on. All I have to do is mention it. And it passes. It passes. But st- some very unpleasant stuff can come up. And around the fourth and the fifth step, there can be some unpleasant emotions that come up. And they pass. Sometimes at the listening to someone's fifth step, I'll say, you nervous? Oh, yeah. I say, oh, I'm not nervous at all. Start with your worst thing. <laughs> oh, let's get it done. And then we look at uh, defects of character. You know. uh, one more thing on, on step three. What a lot of us do is we turn things over and we take them back and we turn things over and we take them back and we turn things over and we take them back. I think that's pretty recognizable human behavior. So when you find you've taken it back, turn it over again. Just turn it over again. Well, when do we get fixed? When do we get perfect? When can I be in a position of having a perfect program so I can judge others accurately? You know, that's what I'm looking forward to. My friend Jim said that he was hoping, he said, I don't judge, I diagnose. That's what he said. Um, uh, he also said, I was going to Al-Anon to learn how to give better advice to people. And the joke there is we don't give advice in Al-Anon. What we do is we share Stuff that worked for us. This helped me. This helped me. When I was in that situation, I found this helpful. Um, Or I did not find that helpful. Um, This is right from this nice blue book. Oh, come on now. Here we go. When you spend some time in Al-Anon, we do wake up. In AA and NA, we talk about waking up. It's also the language of the Al-Anon program. Having had a spiritual awakening, we wake up and sometimes, Rumi, again, Rumi, the poet, will say, I always wake up empty and afraid. 
I don't usually wake up grateful and glad for another day. I'm usually confused, wonder where I am. Um, takes me a while to come to. But when I come to, there are some things I want to do. And, and uh, as I come to, I might look around and just see chaos. Developing an ability, this is in um, how Al-Anon works, page 25. Developing an ability to see things as they really are and to find healthier, more appropriate ways of dealing with the people and circumstances we encounter is not always easy or comfortable. Boy, that's true. Most of us have had good reason for hiding certain information from ourselves. We don't want to know. It hurt. It probably still does. It isn't easy to see the suffering of a loved one, to admit even to ourselves that a close relative has sexually or physically abused us, to come to grips with the fact that the people we have turned to for love and acknowledgement are incapable of giving it, or to recognize that we ourselves have become narrow-minded, vindictive, pessimistic, submissive, fearful, despondent, petty, shrewish, nagging, controlling, or overbearing. I love lists like that. And I identify with most of them. We may be dismayed to find that the negative thinking and behaving that we develop to protect us from the painful experiences of our lives have in fact seeped into every corner of our world. It's as if we've allowed our defense mechanisms to protect us from all of life rather than risking adventuresome participation in it. Adventuresome participation in life. Can you imagine? Are you crazy? It's cold out there. And in trying to avoid the unpleasant aspects of our lives, we have also missed out on many of its joys. Back just to a second for our list. Um, can I be narrow-minded? Yes. Can I be vindictive? Yes. Gertrude Stein would say that Revenge is a dessert best served with a slight chill. You know? So you just don't hit back right away. You wait until they're asleep. You know? <laughs> Vindictive. Pessimistic. Submissive. Fearful. Despondent. Petty. Shrewish. Nagging. Controlling. Ah! God help me! And that's where we have in the sixth and seventh step these defects of character, these flaws. In Narcotics Anonymous, again, for the seventh step prayer, they'll repeat the third step prayer. Um, guide me in my recovery. Show me how to live. Whatever the third one was. Guide me in my recovery. Show me how to live. Take my will in my life. They also use that for step seven. So I called my sponsor and I said to my sponsor, 
I've been doing that seven-step prayer, and I still have all my defects of character. So what am I doing wrong? Uh, I mentioned at a meeting in Los Angeles that I, uh, I still get angry all the time. I mean, I'm surrounded by fools, you know, so I get angry. And one of the people on the program there said that if I was really spiritual, I would never get angry. And as I mentioned last night, I said, that's very helpful. Thank you very much. Um, so I asked my sponsor, how does this work? And he said, well, the language of the program is, we, we, look, we really have some broken places. I guess in a different venue with a different vocabulary in a different century, uh, this would be talked about as being original sin, you know, or, or one of the, there are all kinds of ways this brokenness gets talk about, talked about, uh, the, the flaw, the lack of evolution, the lack of growth, the uh, um, uh, lack of development. And Terry said, we ask to have our defects of character removed. We do not ask to have them erased. He says they can be removed, and then they move right back. And that's my experience. Uh, you know, they're removed. I'm meditating. I'm eating well. I'm exercising. I'm going to meetings. I'm returning phone calls. I'm asking God for help. Uh, you know, I'm doing all those little programmy things that make all the difference between having a life and being a casualty. And then I'm doing so well. I drop a couple of meetings and cut back on this and cut back on that and cut a corner and cheat a little bit and try to shove five into three one more time. And suddenly, I'm surrounded by being narrow-minded, vindictive, pessimistic, submissive, fearful, dependent, petty, shrewish, nagging, controlling, and overbearing. How'd that happen? And I have to clean up the mess and apologize. And ask God for help. And I, my understanding, and this is the last point for, for this morning, then I'll buy you all lunch. Um, <laughs> I get a daily reprieve from the worst of my crazy. A daily reprieve from the worst of my crazy. All of that anxiety and fear and resentment and control, all that stuff. Lack of trust. One day at a time, I'm freed from that. And I regularly have to ask God for help and listen to other people. And then get to a meeting. Oh, no, another meeting. Um, it's easy to get out of the habit of going to meetings. I, I, there are some meetings I like. There are some meetings I don't like. I have to go to places where I can breathe I have to go to places where there's oxygen and I have to go to places where I feel safe and I have to go to places where I feel nurtured. I'm fed. And if there is no such meeting that meets those needs, I might have to start one. So my home group meeting, Tuesday, Monday nights, Albany, little men's stag, uh, we read the gray book. What's it called? Paths to Recovery. I, could, I just block that name every time. Uh, and we read, um, uh, it's Monday night, so we read um, 
The first Monday of the month we read a tradition. And the second, third Mondays of the uh, month we go through steps. And then if there, and then we do a, if, if there's a fourth Monday, I don't know what we do, but a fifth Monday, con- we do concepts. And I always get there on concept night and I just hate it. What are we doing talking about a stupid concept when it's so abstract and I'd rather talk about me and the fact that I'm having a resentment against the jerk that lives next door and smokes dope. Um, And then we focus on the literature and the recovery and it pulls me out of myself for just a little while. And that's such good news. Um... I heard my sponsor talk about this once where you know he he's an adult child and um, he has a lot of self uh, self-based fear. He thinks about himself and he's afraid. Uh, it's not going to work out. I'm not going to get in my way. It's doomed. I'm doomed. There's no way out. Oh God. Good morning. Um, and he says he just sits at his desk and he worries about himself. How am I doing? I'm getting older. You know. Urine flow was pretty weak today. I'm prostate. It's going to be really bad. Um, you worry about all these things. You know, losing more hair. Oh, no. My knee hurts. All that. And then the phone rings. And he has to talk to someone else. And he has to pay attention to someone else. And he has to respond to someone else. And that might go on for three minutes or 30 minutes. And then the conversation's over. And he hangs up the phone. And his next thought is, how am I doing? How am I doing now? Oh, my knee. Oh, my ankle. Oh, my flow of urine. You know? And um, so I have to, as part of my recovery, make sure I have as a regular deal the ways to get out of my head and out of my self-obsession. In good ways. Where I can listen to others and be part of the dance. Not running it, not controlling it, not judging it, but being part of of. So that's what I know. Let's break. Um, and then we'll come back after lunch and do the next thing. Okay? Bueno.